Hi everyone, I'm Chris Deemer, owner of Dark Horse Woodworks in Atlanta and past president of the Cabinet Makers Association. And I'd like to welcome you to episode 15 of Pro Cabinet Maker, a monthly podcast produced by the CMA. Each month, we'll chat with some outstanding industry professionals about the issues and challenges impacting their business, as well as the success stories to inspire. My guest today is Mike Carson, owner of Inspired Closets Chicago. I'm looking forward to the discussion. So welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you, Chris. Good to be here. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into the closet business and what your history has been there? How much time do you have? It's uh, it's quite a story. I was in college back in 1985, and I was doing a business plan for a commercial cleaning company, but at the time, I was a poor college student living in a small little apartment, and I needed a butcher block table for my kitchen, and I went out to shop for them, and they were $800 a piece, and I couldn't afford that. That's crazy, right? So I decided to build one on my own. My grandpa was a woodworker. I thought it's probably in my genes. So I bought some maple material, some books on how to do it, some tools. And over the next month, I built this really beautiful butcher block table in my living room. And it only cost me $1,500, which I know I, I went, wow, that was really stupid. But then I realized, hey, you know what? I have the knowledge. I have some material. I have the tools. I was working at a really nice five-star Italian restaurant downtown Chicago at the time. So I thought, why don't I recoup my losses by selling some tables to the chefs and the cooks at this one restaurant? So I did that. And for the next several months, I would I'd take a whole month to build a big butcher block table. And I would sell it for $1,200. Not a really good cash flow, not a good profitable situation. But I thought, hey, I can do this. I can create this furniture company and build furniture for my life. And then I was out at my dad's house one day having dinner. And he goes, hey, son, you're in woodworking, right? They go, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And he goes, come up here. I got to show you something. So he opened up his closet doors and he showed me this white laminate closet system. And he goes, hey, you should do this. And at first I was offended because it's like, dad, I'm a woodworker. This is panel processing. It's so simple. So I ended up just looking at him like, are you, are you crazy? And then he said the magic words, which I'll never forget. He said, I had one guy here one day and paid him $1,800. And at that point I sold out, so to speak. I actually, I didn't sell. I said, you know what? I can do closets for a while. I build money up for my big furniture company, right? I never looked back. I got into the closet business and it just took off. And I've been doing it for 37 years now. And it's just been a wonderful ride. That sounds pretty familiar. I think I was a, a furniture builder myself and thought I could build furniture for people. And one day we built a kitchen and I thought, man, I built that kitchen in the same amount of time as it makes to make a nice piece of furniture. And I charged five times what I would have charged for that little table. And we were down the path at that point of doing kitchens. One of the questions that I have is we are starting to look into getting into closets more. We're a very European shop, so we're doing frameless construction and we do a lot of very large houses and we'll be in working, doing four bathrooms and a butler's kitchen and a bar in the basement and the full kitchen. And then the closet company comes in and does the 12 closets. And I'm looking at what they're putting in thinking, I own all this machinery. Why are we not doing it? And I'm trying to learn a little bit more about that, how to do it. And one of the things I came across was the ACSP. And I know you have some history there. 
So maybe give me a little background on that. Yeah, sure, Chris. And, and you're saying the right thing because getting into this industry, there's no collegiate classes on you know, how to do closets. There's no books and there's no seminars. There's really no information until recently. So back in the 90s, uh, I was in business for about 10 years, and I realized that I'd made every mistake in the book, basically a trial by fire. I remember when I first started, I knew nothing about the industry. In fact, I would take raw particle board, and I would paint it white, then I would rip it on a safety speed cut saw, heat mold it, and then hand drill with the hay bullet jig all the five millimeter holes. It took forever. And then somebody told me, hey, do you know that they sell uh, the particle board already covered with white paper? <laughs> the rope oil or, or, or something. So I said, I didn't know that. So that saved me a ton of time. So that's what I'm saying. There's no guide, but there was no rules. Everybody at that time, back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, were just looking at California closets for how they were doing things and then trying to do the best they could. So in 1998, I decided that I needed more information. So I started looking up in the phone book because there was no internet. I looked up in the phone book, the major markets. I looked under closets. I tried to find the biggest and best manufacturing closet company in every major market so that I could create, create a network of information. So I started flying around the country. In fact, I would call up, say, St. Louis, and I would say, hey, I'm going to be in St. Louis this week. Can we meet up for coffee? I do closets. We can talk shop a little bit. And they would say, okay, then I would book a ticket and go down to see them. And I, I tell you what, the first time I started talking to people, whether it was Philadelphia, Miami, San Francisco, people were just really hungry for knowledge. So the conversations we had were just really exciting and intense about sharing information and trying to learn from each other. So we took, I took the first 13 companies we found and we formed a group called the National Closet Group. And, and that group were all manufacturers, and it was a very exclusive group because we did not allow competitive companies to come into the group. So everybody was protected within the territory so that we could talk about not only the material and suppliers and design and all of that stuff, we could talk about financials, we could talk about costs of goods and costs of labor and all these different things and not feel like we were giving away secrets. That went great. We had conferences all over the country. The last one we had was in 2005 in Washington, D.C. We had 50 companies at that point forming the National Closet Group, and it was just super valuable. Everybody was learning and growing and creating information and standards that we then started distributing. One of our goals wasn't only to create standards so that accessory people could innovate off the standards, it was also to educate not only each other, but to educate builders and architects and designers as to what we do so that builders could then look at the closet, not as just a place to put the steam unit, put a shower and all the crooked corners from the house. It actually caused the builders to start thinking about that as a valuable space. So instead of a 100-square-foot closet with a wider rack, they could make a 50-square-foot closet for less money and then outfit it with the system and actually have the same amount of space. So all of that education started happening. And then in 2005, we were invited to Dallas as the National Closet Group to speak to the Woodworking Network. 300 people in the room and all the people, the board of directors from the National Closet Group spoke about what we were doing and all the different things. And it caused a lot of excitement and everybody wanted to join. But remember, it's an exclusive group. So we had to say, no, well, you can't join. And people were so hungry for knowledge at that point that we decided to create the big tent. We decided to take the National Closet Group 
keep that on the side, but then create the trade association for the industry, which is called the Association of Closet and Storage Professionals, the ACSP. And that launched in 2005. We're going to have our 20th anniversary coming up, but I'm really proud of that because it brought people together and started talking about solutions and improving the industry. And I think the industry's benefited from all the conversations that have happened, uh, not only with each other and with closet companies, but also with you know closet companies talking to suppliers and telling them what we need. And a lot of suppliers like Hapla, Rubbishelf, Tag, Richelieu have listened to us throughout the conferences and have actually developed some really great products and accessories that improve what we do, including accessories, baskets, pull-out things, slack racks, integrated lighting, different crowds, and all types of things. And even the board suppliers. The board suppliers have come a long way too. Back in the early days, it was white, almond, and baby peach temple, right? But we've all seen this beautiful upgrade in material from the board suppliers with textured rich wood grains. And that's allowed the closet companies to then look outside the closet and start to do entertainment centers and wall beds and home offices and things like that. So we've actually evolved from Neil Balter starting California Closet Company in 1978. We've evolved to, I think, become a whole house organization type company. Closets is just a code word for storage in the house. We do garages and pantries and all kinds of different spaces. We've seen that evolution. I think that was a direct result of the coming together of the association and communicating and uh, growing the education. There's a lot of information there for sure. So from my end, joining the Cabinet Makers Association, I think it was the same thing as what you were going through, except you were one of the founders of it. I, I came across the Cabinet Makers Association booth at IWF, which is here in Atlanta where I am and met a guy and it, it transformed my business because I knew how to make things. I knew how to build things. I'd never worked in a shop before. I'd been in construction, so I knew some things, but I didn't know anything about running a business and it transformed that side of things for me. I thought I knew, but you don't know what you don't know. And I didn't know a lot apparently. So let's talk a little bit about the differences between closets and cabinets. So for me, with the market that I'm in, I'll talk to a client. We delivered something today that I went back and our first drawings were in August of 2022. And we were delivering it today. And I think that's very different than the closet market. Is that correct? Absolutely. The closet industry is uh, built on speed. And I, I think what attracts people to the closet industry is that you can see a client you can design something really beautiful, collect 50% of the money, manufacture it, and deliver it within four to six weeks and collect the second half of the money. So in the industry, it's a very quick turnaround. And we're typically in the house mostly one day, sometimes a couple of days, depending on the size of the job. But carrying no receivables and having that instant gratification is, is a really an exciting part of it. When we go in, we will say, that we don't do kitchens and bath cabinets because in that circumstance, you're looking at a lot more time and a lot of trades being involved. We get in and we get out. And with the kitchen, you're in, you're waiting for the plumber, the electrician, you're waiting for the countertop to finish this, and it takes a long time. And our industry's built differently. Yeah. 
And do most of the closet companies have designated designers on staff? Or are you going with homeowner ideas? Most of the closet companies have designers they employ. We call them sales designers because essentially they're salespeople. Sure. And, and what's interesting is the conversation in the industry over the last 20 years has been about, would you rather hire a salesperson or a designer? Now, ideally, you want to hire somebody that has equal skills in both areas. But when push comes to shove, we always want to hire a salesperson that we can then teach design to. It's easier than somebody who can design but can't really sell or relate to people. And we've developed really great tools and education to help people learn how to design effectively. There's certain rules and certain building blocks to a closet that's pretty rudimentary. And then everything outside of the general building blocks and the rules is just an add-on or an augmentation to the color, the size, the depth, and things like that. So it's really... It's really a fun design experience and not as hard to learn as you would think. So as a cabinet maker myself, who's starting to dabble in closets, what are some of the primary things I need to know when I get into that? Obviously, that's a big one that people are going to expect to turn around that's way different than what my typical client is. That I don't think my clients are normal necessarily in the industry, but that certainly is a thing. But what do you think people need to know specifically about making a transformation? That's that, that could be a, you know a three-hour conversation. But let me start with the fact that kitchen and bath dealers, people who do their work in custom cabinetry, are used to a certain pace, like you said, and they deal a lot with boxes, right? Yeah, sure. they have boxes that are twenty-one, twenty-four, certain depths, and then they just piece those together. The biggest challenge for the kitchen or bath industry was to understand the shared panel concept. And I got to tell you, one of the reasons I started the association was because I was fearful that the kitchen and bath industry, which is, by the way, it's a similar product in that we create storage. It's pretty much the same materials. It's the same time frame. So I was concerned that the kitchen and bath industry would easily jump into it and distort the whole thing. But we had 23 years later, and we're just now seeing a full acceptance of the closet world as an industry. We're seeing acceptance from companies like Sauter and other uh, RTA and our kitchen and bath manufacturing companies saying, hey, you know what? I think we can do this. And the biggest thing is just learning that everything we do is custom, extremely custom. But the secret is it's actually standard custom because we use standard components in depth in certain widths and put them in order to create a custom design specific for that client. And we do that through a shared panel. So we're not able to take a box and just set it there. We have a panel that has to be supported and anchored either by the floor or by a suspension rail. And then you connect the systems together using the common panel to create the different sections. And I guess you look at it this way. Closets typically are seen as a very horizontal space. It's a shelf and a rod at one height. No matter what the length of any garment is, it's going to hang from that rod at 65 inches. Then you have one shelf really high, so the client is wasting a ton of space. They're bending and reaching instead of just having things accessible. So our industry looks at the horizontal closet. We turn it vertical, and we think of it as, as separate sections, separate vertical sections of adjustability. If you look at it like if you had a four-foot closet, 
with a shelf and rod, that's four feet of shelving, four feet of hanging. If you split that in half and you double hung one side, which means hanging at 84, hanging at 42, because most items you hang are going to be double hangable, meaning their shirts and jacket skirts and things that can actually be hung one, one over the other. So if you take a four-foot closet and you take two feet of it, make a double, you still have four feet of shelving and four feet of hanging, but now you have a whole two feet left over that you can do anything with. And that's the fundamental of why it works, which is that we double hang is the first aspect of creating more space. So now that extra two feet can be long hang with, with three shelves above it. It can be all shelving. It can be shelving in drawers. It could be baskets. It could be a lot of different things. So we've just doubled and tripled the usable space of the closet while making it super accessible. You're not bending and reaching. Everything's right at your fingertips. So at the beginning of that, you mentioned that you've developed standards. So as a cabinet guy, I know how much room I need for a box of cereal. I don't necessarily know how much room I should allow for shoes or for boots. Or when you mentioned 84 and 42 for hanging, is that the numbers you do? What if you've got a really tall guy? Then you just adjust for that? Or how does that work? Where, and where would I find those standards? Well, the ACSP has all that information. We have courses and certification for designers where we give a study guide and then we have testing and you can become a certified designer. You can become a, math or a registered designer or a master designer. So all that information lives there. But in respect to standards, back in the day before standards, everybody had different ideas of what a closet should be, how wide a drawer should be, how deep the panel should be. So... Because of that, it was just like the Wild West. And when I started the National Closet Group, I built it on a three-legged stool of marketing, networking, and product. So the networking part of it was the conventions, the association, the sharing of information. The marketing part was a website, a common website, and being able to attract consumers to our product. But the product part of it was actually working with vendors and suppliers to help them create products. But also, I wanted to you know, buy in bulk as the association and be able to distribute the parts throughout the 13 to 50 companies. But what I found out was I started asking questions. How wide is your drawer bank? How deep is your panel? What kind of drawer do you under mount, side mount? So all these variations in the numbers, I couldn't set on one specific number that would actually allow us to bulk purchase. So we started saying, what are the sizes of clothing? Two stacks of sweaters fit on 24, two pair of men's shoes fit on 18, Four pair of women's shoes, three pair of men's shoes fit on 30 inches. They handle bigger sweaters. So we came to realize that that when it comes to shelving, which then can be drawers and other things within the shelving, that needs to have a number. And some companies do 12 inches, 14 inches, 16 inches deep panels. The industry settled uh, on a 14-inch deep panel because that'll fit really big shoes. It'll fit bulky sweaters. But then also for the width, we decided that 18, 24, and 30 width was the standard by which we would innovate all the accessories, whether it be a basket, a slack rack, a pull-down hang rod, all the different things that enhance the closet. So that's what I mean by standards and why it's so important that we do that. Yeah, that's interesting because the little bit that I've dabbled in the last few months, I come across issues like you're talking about and the software that I use has pre-made panels that are, like you say, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22. And I'm looking at them as a cabinet guy going, we make everything 24. 
but I don't really need that. Or do I? But my yield can be so much better if I go smaller. Anyway, these are questions that have, have really been problems for me as I'm trying to figure out. And then I get to the corner and I have no idea what to do there. You got any tips for how to handle corners? What's your Oh, that's place. one of my, that's one of my, that's one of my pet peeves with respect to when you see these things where somebody comes out with a curved rod going around the corner, that's just a gimmick. I will never do that in a closet where somebody says, I want corner shelves in my closet. Well, corner shelving is the worst use of space you can do in a closed closet. It's okay if it's a pantry or something where you have no hanging, but if you have hanging in a closet, the hanging always goes into a corner and the shelving comes out of a corner. You start 24 inches out from the back wall in the corner, and that creates accessibility and it, it makes the closet feel wider. Interesting. I'll have to keep that in mind for sure. As far as the manufacturing process goes, the differences between closets and cabinets, I understand that we do live in a world of building a box. One of the things that I've seen when we're on site and closet companies show up is everything comes packed flat and it's put together on site, which it's pretty appealing to be honest. Do you have any insight on the connection methods? It seems to be lots of different ones, the Cabaneo, the Rayfix, the there's others as well that I'm not super familiar with. Do you have one that you like the best or is this just something that doesn't really make that big a difference in the end? That makes a difference only in the fact you want something that's going to be solid. We use a hateful uh, dowling cam system there's other lockdowns and things like that, which create more manufacturing up front. But with the uh, Dow and Cam method, you're just taking the thick shelf, we call it, which every section is going to have at least two thick shelves. If it's to the floor, all shelving is going to have three. But the thick shelves at the top, the middle and the bottom, you put the dowel in the five millimeter hole, and then the cam just slips over and you tighten it down. It's, if you put together IKEA furniture, it's like that, only more, more stable. Because unlike IKEA, a lot of the material on board we use is a furniture grade particle board, triple chip, super strong. So we're able to to anchor the dowel stronger and the cam fittings are also that better quality. Yeah, that's the one we've fallen into as well. We tested a few different ways and that seemed from the install end to be much easier to me, where you just drop the shelf on it, you tighten the cam and it's in place. The whole 32 millimeter system, which was born out of World War II, is meant to assemble quickly because when they came out of World War II, they lost a lot of lumber and they lost a lot of woodworkers. So they had to develop a system that was easy to put together. So 32 millimeter center to center of the holes means that hinge plates can go in easily. Drawer runners are sized so that the drawer runners go with a Euro screw into those system holes. So everything's adjustable and flexible because of that, and it makes it easier to put together. Oh, for sure. We adopted the 32 millimeter in our cabinet construction process a long time ago, and it's made things so much better. I'm really amazed at how many people still do paste frame. I am as well, but it's something that in my, so I'm in Atlanta, in my area, there's a lot of cabinet shops that do nothing but face frames. And we fell into this more contemporary frameless construction. And I don't think I would ever look back. If you call me out of the blue and ask me about doing a face frame inset kitchen, I'm going to tell you I'm not your guy. It's not that we can't do it, but it's just harder to do. It takes more yeah. time and uh, we're not set up for it. We're, we're very there's set also, up. And there's also less yield. 
Uh, this is not the yield because I, I had a guy in California who was doing face frame and he had a little display set up of a drawer bank with uh, face frame drawers versus frameless drawers. And then the volume of what the drawers would hold was dramatically different. So the face frame volume was, I think it was like 80% more volume with the same size exterior cabinet. We use the term full access a lot. I'm not sure who came up with that, but I'd never heard it until I started going to cabinet maker events. And oh yeah, that's a good way to put that. And that's a thing that homeowners can yeah. relate to. So you mentioned that you thought the cabinet industry would take over or at least get wholly involved with closets. I know for me, when I first started, I, I don't, it was probably a snob attitude of, I build kitchens, I don't do closets. Yeah. And now that I've done a few, I'm thinking, man, I wish I'd started building closets a long time ago. It seems to me to be a high volume item that you can get a very fair price for. And as you said earlier, it turns around very quickly. I think what's happening, Chris, as, as time goes on, people we did closets for back in the 90s or 80s, their kids grew up with organized closets. So now these kids are graduating college, getting married, having families of their own. They wouldn't think of not having an organized closet. So the market's growing just because of that alone. Plus, there's a lot more acceptance, a lot more marketing and out there about it. But we do fifty to $100,000 boutique walk-in closets. So if you think about it, a custom kitchen of the same price, it's like on par with what it would be to do a kitchen versus a really tricked out boutique closet, which might include lighting and glass and mirrors and crown and all of that. But as you said earlier, the turnaround time is four to six weeks, not 12 months, which is what I deal with a lot. Yeah, I've gotten so accustomed to a quick turnaround of cash flow that I don't know I could do it any other way. Yeah, no, that's, it's certainly a plus and one of the reasons I've started to think I need to do this more. I know the Closet Conference is coming up in mid-April. I'm actually planning to come to that. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what's going to be happening there. Yeah, the Closet Conference is April 17th through the 19th. It's in Schaumburg, Illinois. And there's going to be an exposition floor of vendors and machinery. There's going to be a conference, which is held on the 18th, and that'll be seminars and a lot of learning and training. There'll be a tour. There's a tour of, I believe, a manufacturing facility and also of my showroom in Oakbrook. We're going to be bringing people by to see the Inspired Closet Chicago showroom. Thanks again, Mike. My pleasure, Chris. It's been a lot of fun. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Pro Cabinet Maker. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact the woodworking industry. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like more information about the Cabinet Makers Association, please be sure to visit us online at cabinetmakers.org. See you next time.